Exploring the healing and culture building practices of embodied anti-racism. This is With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Welcome, welcome to With Love and Justice for All. It is our first episode of 2022. We are thrilled to be here. I'm Reverend Ogan Holler with my partner in crime, I mean consciousness, Reverend Kelly Isola. And we are the co-founders of Project Sanctus. We are on the business of getting our holy on, living our holiest best selves, and in so doing, creating a world of love, justice, and equanimity for all. I should note at the top of the hour, you're listening to a pre-record. If everything has gone as it should, I am enjoying some vacation time in Barbados, visiting my family. I just realized I said enjoying and family in the same sentence. That may not be what's happening. I don't know. So so we're in a time machine right now. You're affirming ahead of time. <laughs> exactly. Where I'm in the past, you're listening in the present, and in the future, I'll let you know, I'll let you know how it goes. Um, but it, even though uh, we are recording on December the 10th, and um, today we're going to talk about uh, colonialism, decolonialism, and and we just heard a few moments ago um, around the Supreme Court's decision to let the Texas abortion ban stand. Now, again, this is December 10th. I don't imagine that much will have changed by January 6th, but but this is this is. This is a podcast around justice as well. And, and in our opinion, this is a travesty of justice. This is an, this is an injustice being perpetuated. And um, as it often goes with such injustices, it will disproportionately affect women of color and, mm-hmm. and, and um, women who are, are poor or lower economic status, regardless of their color. And so we're going to, we're going to, and, and this is related to the idea of, of decolonization, modern decolonization and decentering whiteness. So we're going to, we're going to open up a little bit with that and I'm going to turn it over to, to Reverend Kelly. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So turn it over to me so I can just get, uh, express a little bit of my anger and sadness and um, frustration and Really, it's, you know, of use, as you've said before, Ogan, you know, about enraged versus outraged. Um, and it's the kind of, this is not, in some ways, this, um, the Supreme Court, um, upholding this abortion, new abortion law in Texas, um, which is, a, imposes serious restrictions on women's reproductive rights. Uh, it's really, it's not, in many ways, it's not, it should not be a surprise to most people. The fact that the Supreme Court decided not to even, to allow the law to stand when it was first implemented, and then to wait months to even have a conversation about it, it tells us that we already knew, because you only need five, that's the magic number, five, five votes, you know, to pass. So we already knew that that was going to happen, because that's how, you know, it, it's, that's how it initially the law stood and took them forever to talk about it. So we really should not be surprised that this is the outcome today. Uh, And as you said, not sure, because we are pre-recording come when this airs on January 4th, uh, we don't know where it'll be. Again, I don't know that much will change. My, my, um, you know, and to say also that, um, the part of what the Supreme Court said was that they, while they uphold this this abortion law, which is, you know, um, anything after 15 weeks is, uh, you know, is banned. Um, uh, and then the other thing they added on was that, and abortion clinics can sue, you know, uh, about the, the federal government or the federal court about, you um, over this. And, and my first thought was like, yes, because they have so much money lying around to do that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, if you look at any clinic that performs abortions, 
um, you know, it's, it's, and it's really what's so frustrating too, is that, you know, they're called abortion clinics, but they're women's healthcare clinics is what they are. And it's one of multiple services that, um, that these, you know, medical clinics, these women's healthcare clinics that they provide, you know, lots of wellness care for women, wellness care for babies, wellness care, you know, when you are pregnant, because you want to be, and you want to carry a baby full term. But the, the, what I think it's, gets, and you brought this up, what's missing and what most people don't realize is the fallout from this in terms of the impact it will have on um, black people, black women, um, people of color, uh, people, you know, resource poor, uh, those that already um, don't really have access, if any at all, to good health care. Because, right, let's be clear, uh, those who can afford to travel out of state to have an abortion will do so. Um, I mean, they already do it in states like, you know, Texas and Mississippi um, and other other states. Um, And but there are those who don't have those resources, who can't who can't do that um, uh, as as well. And it it just it just baffles me the, the hypocrisy of a state who whose like you know unofficial anthem is we have to push for the individual rights of people and it shows up in the right to carry a gun like the gun guns in texas have more permissions and protective laws than 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 women do and it's 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 amazing that um in in 2021 or 2022 when you're listening to this that that this still exists and and Chief Justice Sotomayor, she she nailed it when she said, um, you know, let's not kid ourselves. So many, so many of the 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 the, the I guess the plaintiffs in this case who, who who brought the case forward, they they admitted it. You know, you know when you're not supposed to say the thing out loud that we all know, but they said it. We're bringing this down because we know we have a, a super conservative majority on on the court. Right. And and to be and to be clear around where all this fervor of anti-abortion started, we have to go back to to the I believe the 60s when um, super evangelical evangelical mega preacher. um, This is why I need to make notes, because I didn't remember (laughs) his name. It wasn't wasn't Falwell. It was I forget who it was. No, no. Um, but 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 when when the civil rights acts were passed and oh. therefore there couldn't be that discrimination, I believe it was follow. Um, there couldn't be that discrimination anymore. And he realized we're going to lose the conservative audience because because before it was it was racism. And now we don't do that anymore. Now we legally don't do that anymore. We can't we can't use that as our standing point anymore what's the next what's the next thing and realizing that this would disproportionately affect people of color then all of a sudden there was there was whipping up a whole sort of um energy around abortion and that's and that's how really that became a rallying cry for for conservatives it was a it was a pushback if if you're wondering how it all ties into racism it was a pushback from 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 the civil rights movement right in, in, in the South, which again blow, blows my mind, and I think a lot of people don't don't know that history. Well, let me let me look that up. Let me look that up while you while you say some stuff. <laughs> I have a lot of stuff to say. Uh, so it, this this um, law in Texas is what it's going to do is it's going to intensify and shine a brighter light on the state's. Um, the flaws in in the state's healthcare system, and it's going to further compound the racial disparities that already exist. Um, it's going to make an inequitable health system even more inequitable, because um, black and brown people of childbearing age and their offspring um, have been failed by the healthcare system for years in Texas. And so, um, for instance, black infants in Texas are twice as likely as white infants to die before their first birthday. Um, the black maternal mortality rate is um, about 44 deaths per 100,000 live births. For white women, it's 18 deaths per 100. So it's 
you know, almost three times, two and a half times. Um, and it's, you know, having, not having access to, to one, just healthcare while you're pregnant, never mind after you have the child. So you're, you're forcing women to, um, to have babies that are, you know, an unintended pregnancy, uh, you know, an unwanted, like not, not it's this thinking, this narrow-minded thinking that everyone who wants an abortion is, you know, they're using it as like birth control and it's not, you know, yes, that it's not that that doesn't go on, but there, but shit happens, right? Women get pregnant. Um, and, uh, so, and unplanned pregnancies are associated with higher rates of maternal mortality with a premature, um, birth and infant mortality. And so there's this long-term, um, you know, health issues for mother and child. Um, and it just disproportionately injures, um, people of color, their mothers and their children. And this is how systemic racism works. It just continues to, so that's what this law is going to do. It's going to shine a light even more on the institutional structures already in place that already perpetuate inequities um, and, and, you know, started when, you know, when this started in 1619 and persists till today. And so it just, um, in order to, to reverse any of this, what's happening is that it's being pushed to the states, right? So, you know, the, like to say that abortion clinics can sue the federal court, that means in every state, you know, or in Texas, and believe me, more states are going to follow suit very quickly so that you could live in a state like South Dakota, for instance, you know, their laws are going to pass that, that these very, these abortion ban laws and have no way to get to a place that could perform, you know, an abortion because every state around you has laws. And now you're, now you're into, you know, um, it's just, it's, I don't, I just wonder, does anybody have their brain turned on around the, the domino effect? Not, 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 not so much. We are, we are very, we're very short-sighted people. It's it's not just about women. It's, you're, you're talking about these, these, you're so these people are so focused on abortion and right to life. Okay, what about the life of the the child after the fact? If it's premature, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> or uh, clearly born prematurely, and all of the the things that can go on with that that have lifelong it, health issues. It, who's it, paying for that? It, it doesn't matter, given they're also a horrendous record of stripping away uh, what 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 they like to call quote unquote welfare services. You know, um, so so no, it. it it sort of doesn't really matter. Um, I did, I did to go back to what I said, I did do some looking up and yes, I was right. Um, so it was places like Jerry Falwell's Lynchburg Academy and uh, oh, yeah. Bob Jones and um, another evangelical, um, um, what was the name? Uh, Paul Werich. So apparently what happened in like the late sixties when these, these Christian universities were not allowing um, black students to attend um, Nixon, and um, he ordered the IRS to strip away their tax-exempt status because they were being racist. Um, and I know, I know you're saying, what, Nixon did that? Yes, Nixon did that. <laughs> did a lot of things. <laughs> Nixon did He was a fascinating character. All right, let me not get segue. So, 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 um, so yes, yeah, so, of course, they sued, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and in 71, the Supreme Court agreed that racially discriminatory schools were not entitled to a tax exemption. And as a pushback, realizing that they couldn't organize politically around, around racial segregation, then they needed their next defense uh, for the movement, their next rallying cry for the movement. And then when, when, when abortion was legalized, Right. They realize, hey, here's a, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Right. Because we can we can now turn this into a political uh, issue that we can rally around. And and they did that. Yeah. And then and then Reagan propped it up. God bless Reagan. Reagan propped it up as well in that in that movement. There's a book out there. Um, it's on my read to read list. I haven't read it yet. It's called Bad Faith, Raise Race. Sorry, Bad Faith, Race and the Rise of the Religious Right. By a Randall Bomber, 
Um, so, so if anyone wants to check that book out, and there's a an a, a little article and interview with him on uh, the Religion News service, religionnews.com, you can search for it there. But yeah, so it's 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 sort of all tied in. Um, so, so when we talk about um, back to the topic of the show, and, and we'll 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 do a little bit of that, and then and then you know tie it all together in a neat bow in the second segment. Fingers crossed. But I think we can yes. do it. <laughs> I'll try to cooperate. So, so, so when we're when we're talking about uh, decolonization and decentering whiteness, and and I appreciate the irony that <clears throat> I'm recording this and it's being aired, as you said, January fourth. I think I said six earlier, but but my mistake, uh, January fourth. Um, that we're in this when I am going to be in Barbados, a country that was a former British colony until 1966. Only just this past November, um, finally um, severed the last colonial ties to Britain because it continued to be a commonwealth like Canada and Australia, which means the queen was still technically the head of state. And, you know, Barbados finally undid that and, and elected a president. So now we're like, you know, fully autonomous. But, but, but the, the, the remnants of, of colonialism still exist in Barbados in a lot of different ways. So, so yes, colonialism and racism, is, they're practically like the same overlapping circle. Um, colonial, colonialism and all its, its ills are based on racist thinking, racist, uh, racist action. Um, how it, how but, they're, but they're not the same thing, though. They're, no, they're not the same thing, but I'm, okay. that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, I just want to make sure listeners get that they're not synonyms. Exactly, they're, they're they're not, and 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 some examples of how it still shows up in Barbados is still even though the island is like I don't know ninety six ninety seven percent black population, it's still majority white ownership. As um, there's still those economic disparities where where most of whites still tend to be higher up uh, economically. Yes, that's can. That's changed over the years and greatly improved, um, but it still exists. Um, things like thing, and you've heard me speak about this before. Things like like colorism, um, that that horrible that horrible uh, uh, um, um, method that slave owners used to use to pit um, people of color against each other. You know, highlighting and valuing lighter skinned people um, over dark people, having the lighter skin enslaved people. You know, work in the and I use the term loosely, cushy jobs in the house and, and the darker ones yeah. um, out in the field uh, to do the more back-breaking work. Um, that, the, that, that effect of, of, of us people of color judging each other based on the, the complexion of our skin still exists um, um, and like many, many places. So we, 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 have, we have that as well. Uh, and those are just like a couple of examples. But, but let's talk about what, uh, as you say, colonialization and racism um, not not to be used um, synonymously right so 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 hit us up with with what what we what the definition um, a, a, a little bit of that is so colonialism is and you you I mean you said it <clears throat> you de- you described what it is you know and and certainly the what happens over time when a place is colonized. Uh, but colonialism is the practice or policy of control by one people or power <clears throat> over other people or areas and establishing a colony, right? Like a, a place, a village, a, a little colony mm-hmm. um, with the aim of economic dominance. It's pretty much economic dominance is what, what drives colonialism. And so in that process um, of colonialization of colonialism, you know, in setting a colony and having that economic dominance, the colonizers uh, may impose their own religion, their own language, their their own other, um, their already um, existing economic practices, their own cultural practices. And so, you know, it's not, it's, it's not hard to see the, the, you know, the, how racism, you know, fits into that, because here in the U.S., it's, um, you know, it was controlled by European powers, European settlers, bringing with them. It's it's really um, a huge cognitive dissonance that when when you hear about someone talk about American history and this, you know, 
you know, this fight for the Revolutionary War was, you know, for religious freedom, and yet not so much because the the impact, because really what was going on was, um, you know, European white settlers bringing with them their their white their you know Christian um, uh, understanding their Christian practices and beliefs um, and requiring anyone under their power and control to assimilate, you know, into that. So um, for all the talk about religious freedom, it's like, well, freedom, if you think like me. Yeah. And what was, what was interesting was when, was, was in doing that, when enslaved people converted because then they, they realized it was, it was the, the, you know, the white folk were like, it's unchristian. Uh, to to holding a fellow Christian in slavery, so initially when the, when the enslaved enslaved folks converted, they were set free because now they were Christians. Well, that idea caught on a little too quickly, right? And and changes had to be made. We can't we can't we yes we will allow them now to to convert, but we can't set them free. That's that's our that's our bread and butter. That's how we that's how we making our money. So, so it was interesting how a lot of these "quote unquote" Christian values and ideals bent under the weight of colonization. Right. So it's the it's that political and economic domination, and um, um, you know, and that's what's going on here with this this law in Texas uh, is is a a group of. Um, with particular religious and political and, excuse me, economic um, positions and privilege dominating, you know, and deciding for for a, a huge population in Texas that is people of color, people of different you know, culture, of different um, economic means, like just dominating um, that entire you know, an entire place, an entire state and, and large groups of marginalized communities to step in line. And what's interesting is just like in the earliest days of colonization, it is a minority of numbers of people deciding for a majority opposition. So when yeah. you when when you look at all the polls, the majority of Americans are in favor and support of legalized abortion. Right. But now we have this minority of people um, and mostly white, but minority of people um, and mostly evangelical Christian minority of numbers of people deciding that what we believe and what we want to enforce should apply to all, regardless of what the majority of people actually want. And that's like like that's a great that's a great uh, characteristic of colonialization, right? Because because when you look at countries that were colonized in the most brutal days of colonialization, there was it was a very small number of of whites Europeans who controlled the, the land, the money, um, all the all the enslaved people, all the displaced people, and their only hope of exerting their power again was to pit us against each other and or um, enforce through fear and, and terrorism. Um, and, uh, you know, to make reference to Barbados again, you know, historians will agree, Barbados was a blueprint for a lot of how, how uh, colonialism works, how, how enslavement of other people works. Um, Barbados was one of, often one of the first stops in that, uh, that triangle, that brutal triangle of, 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 of slavery from, you know, <clears throat> and, and um, when you look at a, even a lot of the initial um, law enforcement um, that sprung up in Virginia um, in, in those earliest colonies, they looked to Barbados for the blueprint of brutality. Um, so, so we, we, we have a, we have a long history that we, we, we had to come back from. Just like the Nazis looked to America for a blueprint of uh, brutality. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and the one interesting thing I'll, I'll, I'll say about them, I think you may have mentioned this before, but um, that, that the, even, even the Nazis said, 
we are not going to go as far as they did. And, and, and a specific example, again, was that one drop rule. So, so in, 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 enslaved times and even Jim Crow South, it was like, if we can trace any semblance of, of black lineage in you, you are no longer classified as white. Whereas in Nazi Germany, you know, if, if a German and a Jew had a child, they were like, no, he's German. Right. Yeah. He, was, he was afforded, you know, the, 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 a mixed race union was afforded, was afforded that because now there's German blood in him. So it was, it was, it was fascinating that, that, you know, we hold up in, in these modern times when people don't agree with something and they're holding up comparisons to Nazism, that even Nazis were like, yeah, we're going to be bad, but we're not going to be as bad as the yeah. Americans. We're just going to be uh, less inhumane. We're going to be a little bit less humane. So, um, so, so we're going to, we're going to come, we're going to take a break in a few seconds. We're going to come back and unpack a little bit more about um, uh, colonialism, mm-hmm. what decolonization means um, in these times and how it really uh, is really around decentering whiteness. And, 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 and what that means. So st- uh, stick with us. We'll be back in a little bit. You are listening to With Love and Justice for All. You're listening to With Love and Justice for All with Reverend Ogan Holder and Reverend Kelly Isola. Welcome back to With Love and Justice for All. I'm Reverend Kelly with my cohort in Consciousness and Crime and Commitment, Reverend Ooh, I like that one. Got to add that one. Yeah. Yep. And we're talking about uh, colonizing, decolonialism, and racism. And before we went to break, we had, we had set the context for what colonial, you know, colonialism means they are related racism and colonialism and they're not synonyms so we want to uh we're going to shift into decolonizing right the the we and we're gonna we also were talking about the supreme court you know you're listening to a pre-record the supreme court decided today uh december 10th um to uphold this abortion law in texas um and um it's just uh, I can feel the ripples going out, but what it has to do with um, like, what does that have to do with racism? And what does it have to do with colonialism is that the, the byproduct of, of, first of all, those that voted for it are clearly, you know, encamped in white privilege and their social location is very much to uphold the structural and systemic racism that the United States was built on. Um, and uh, the fallout from this law and and meaning in terms of it's it's another um, it's another pointing us to more about the systemic racism that is the U.S. Uh, in terms of how it's going to affect bodies of culture and color much more predominantly than than white bodies uh, and people certainly uh, resource poor people which includes people of any color. So we're going to, we want to talk about decolonizing, like what, what, what does that mean? How do you do that? And, you know, ultimately it's decentering whiteness. Um, And, and one of the things that pointed us to this uh, conversation was that, you know, when George Floyd was murdered, there was um, an enormous amount of energy and people, you know, so many thousands and thousands of people coming forward in protests and marches and book clubs and um, reading and, and just, you know, educating and just a lot of energy around um, racism and racial equity and racial justice and, you know, decolonizing. And then it's, but it's kind of, you know, it's been what, a year and a half, almost two years. And we're not really much further along because all of this energy kind of, <clears throat> got sucked out of the room because there wasn't we kind of stagnated it's taken right? too long <laughs> taken too long which is a very white thing to say 
uh, and not that every white person is the same. And it is a white body supremacy cultural norm that it just fix it. It's taken too long. So decolonizing. And, and, and let me add, let me add real quick. Not only is it taking too long, but it's taking too much energy. This is exhausting. It is and, exhausting. And, and to be clear, a lot of that exhaustion comes from, from white guilt white fragility, um, feeling attacked as we have these discussions about, about racism, the, you know, the, the energy to defend oneself saying, I'm not racist. Uh, my parents didn't raise me to be racist. I've never done a racist thing or said a racist thing. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of, sort of defense. Um, I was reading, um, Robin DeAngelo's nice racism. Um, and, and we're doing that at the book study in, in, in January. If you want to sign up, hit projectscientist.com. But we, but one of the things she says is when, when white folk see racism as a, your problem, a, 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 a problem for, for BIPOC folk that they're, and not a problem necessarily that they're experiencing it, uh, they're, that it's theirs to fix, but, but they're experiencing it. So therefore us white folk, we're not experiencing racism, so so this really isn't our thing. Um, divorces themselves from the fact that it is everybody's problem because there's a relationship established. If BIPOC folk are suffering, who is doing the uh, who's who is making it happen? Right? Who's, who's inflicting the suffering? Who's inflicting it? Who's who's maintaining it? Who's who's holding it up? So I just want to throw that in there. Continue. Yeah. So um, it. It makes it e- what you describe and what Robin D'Angelo describes in the book, The Nice Racism, it, by being able to divorce myself, it makes it easier for me to, you know, the right to comfort, which is a, you know, a white, white body supremacy cultural norm. And how do I make it easier? And how do I, because I, I don't want to work this hard. Yeah. Um, and yet I have to work this hard. And I don't even know if that's the right statement, but it's not, it doesn't change unless I be part of changing it. And so I, I, my work is to decenter whiteness. My work is to, to work with, you know, white bodied folks, not to, I can't, I can't know a person of color or a black person's experience with racism. What my work is uh, decentering whiteness and helping other white folks see it. So part of that is understanding what colonial you know, colonizing is, and then decolonizing, which is about the cultural and psychological and economic freedom for indigenous uh, and uh, black folks with, you know, achieving sovereignty, right? There's the liberation. Um, And and, and when you say sovereignty, um, break that down a little bit. And, And I'll start by saying, basically, sovereignty, the way I understand it is, simply the right to exist as you choose in all the ways, in all the ways that you want to, right? When we're, we're talking about, we're talking about uh, culture. We're talking about, about clothing. We're talking about customs. We're talking about even the food you eat uh, and what you make, uh, having, having the right and not being policed while you're doing it. Access. Access. That too. Yes. Access. Uh, so, and it means, and for indigenous um, cultures, for first, first nations, it's the sovereignty includes um, land, giving their land back. Yes. Right. Um, it, how many of us stop and think, and, and we do this sometimes that I do it often in, in classes I'm teaching near the beginning. And, and you and I do this too together is inviting people to specifically know the land that they're sitting, wherever you're, if you're listening, if you're watching, whatever, where you're sitting at this moment is you're sitting on unseated, never surrendered, occupied land so uh, so you're you're a colonizer and and you don't even realize it now don't send me hate mail because you know i just called you a colonizer but in a colonizer in the sense of well i guess you could send hate mail like we have feedback shows that we do but colonizer in the sense of not even aware that you're sitting on unceded territory that you're sitting on land um that once was inhabited by you know, First Nations, that um, uh, we have this historical amnesia. We, um, we don't recognize the role, like the genocidal role of right. colonialism. And, 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 and when, we, when you say to people they're colonizers, again, it's that, that, that lack of awareness 
continues to perpetuate the energy intention of, and ideas of the original practice of colonization. And, and we started talking about, about abortion, and I'll, and I'll draw the, 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 the parallel um, when it comes to the, the sovereignty of, of women over their bodies. Yep. Me, me as a man who has a lot of embodied sexism in me, right? I, I have to be aware of that in how I talk about it. And, you know, we, we, we had some conversations before we started recording and I was all like, you know what? I, I, I probably shouldn't be talking about this <laughs> because, because as, as, as much as I would dare to label myself a feminist, there is, there is no level of understanding I have about what it means to be a woman and experience what women go through. Remember that, that famed uh, question by, I forget her name, me and name recall who asked, she was doing a, she's doing a panel on racism and she asked the white audience members, if there's anyone who would trade places with a black woman, raise your hand. Jane Elliott. Jane Elliott. There you go. And nobody did. And she goes, this is how you know, there's a problem. Right. Right. So, so the same thing, you know, who who of us been listening would trade places with, with a woman, even in 2022, not many of us are raising our hand. A black woman. And a black, a black woman, you right. know, or indigenous, exactly. or Latinx. So, and it's the same idea of I don't get to call myself an ally, right? Right. It's it's you know I someone a person of color gets to decide based on on me and what I do and how and why and you know you get to decide and and you get to decide and so can I can I infer can I confer the title on you now can I. Can, can you I, get to, and each person of color in my life gets to decide for then, themselves. Then I, then I hereby anoint you an ally. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, it's the, but it's, but it's the, that amnesia piece that, that keeps us from decolonizing, right? That amnesia piece of, of that it's, um, this is historical and it's intergenerational. It's looking at um, where we continue to occupy land, where we, we meaning, you know, federal government or state government uh, continues to dictate social, political and economic systems. They're, they're just deciding this law in Texas is um, deciding for women, you know, particularly women of color, an economic future of hardship. By forcing someone to, to, you know, one, go through, uh, you know, carry a baby to term, um, Black women are four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related complications as a white woman. So you are deciding, that's that's colonizing. You're colonizing my body. And and by the way, by the way, have to to make mention of Amy Comey Barrett's comment. Okay. about how the burden of parenting is removed because if a woman doesn't want her child, she can put it up for adoption. And I'm like, think things, things that make you go, ah! Right. No, no concept for what goes on from inception to birth in terms of, so in terms of economic hardship, in terms of inflexible work schedules, um, extent, you know, family obligations, there's a nine months there where there's lots of women that need lots of care that, and particularly women of color don't have access, don't have an employer says, sure, take the day off, put your feet up, you know, because your, your blood pressure is through the roof. And, you know, you, you may have a stroke because your blood pressure is so high because of the complications of this pregnancy. This is not an, uh, a, uh, that what I just described is not a, a maybe, you know, that doesn't happen often. It's not that infrequent. Yeah. And, and, and also, I know what some of y'all are thinking, but wait a minute, this isn't a racial issue because on the Supreme Court, we have Justice Clarence Thomas who is black, who is also supporting this. So it can't be about race. That's a whole show for itself. But again, again, let's be clear. This is the insidiousness of of white supremacy culture. And often we will find people of color who are so adjacent to that power and want to help maintain the system because it benefits them as well. Okay, so so yes, uh, we, some of some of us people of color. We're looking at Clarence Thomas. We're looking at a, 
at a Larry Elder. We're looking at Candace. What's her last name? Candace Owens. Again, we, I don't want to give these people more airtime, but again, these are people who have realized their 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 attachment to that seat of power, um, and and play that role. So, yeah, that's that's what that is. So. Uh- I want to, I want to, so what does it mean to decenter whiteness and what does it mean to decolonize and, and keeping in mind that you and I are talking in the context of the U.S. or North America, you know, U.S. and Canada, um, and that, that there are countries all over the world, as you talked about Barbados, that have been colonized by, you know, Europeans, um, and, and sometimes, the response when we talk about it is that, well, this goes on all over the world. We need to be focusing everywhere. And my response is no, we need to be focusing here in the U.S. because nowhere in the world does racism occur as it does here. Nowhere in the world is do like, let's get this good here. Let's decolonize and decenter whiteness. Let's notice where white policies and, and uh, privilege is being you know, continue to, uh, to further, you know, a, um, an agenda. Let's look at where, um, how, where it's rooted in a system. Let's look at who's profiting, who's profiting from these, you know, these, um, issues around abortion and women's healthcare. Um, who's profiting by changing, you know, now I'm really the, all the voting laws, the insane, you know, um, racist voting laws, uh, that are, that have going into effect. Like who's profiting from these things? And it's not, you know, marginalized communities. It's not people of color. It's, it's in fact, they're the ones paying a bigger price. Yeah. So, so starting, so, so how do I decolonize, right? What does that mean for me as a white person? Well, one is to understand, go learn and a great, um, the 1619 Project is a, a book that's recently come out um, that I would encourage anyone to read. Uh, go to Dr. Google and start educating yourself. There are a lot of places to learn the, um, our, the history of the U.S., to, to learn the Some of Us by Heather McGee, to gain an understanding of our economic how we how our economic system works, how it got started, our legal system, healthcare, and start. Um, understanding it and start um, tracking, you know, you could even, you could, if you're on social media, you can even track hashtags, right? And, and find out what's being said and you have to, and there's a lot of junk that gets thrown around mm-hmm. and you have to keep, you have to keep educating and you have to keep listening and you have to keep learning because it takes a long time to really understand and, and look at your own, you know, how am I, um, continuing perpetuating the system of colonization, and, and and that's important. Not if I am doing it, how? Yes, right. Makes are you are you willing to be humble enough to start with the assumption as a white person that even unconsciously you're doing it, and right. to investigate how? Because because a lot of the pushback we get initially is that folks, white folks are like, this is not who I am. This is not what I do. And here's my, you know, we call it credential. And here's my track record to show that I am not a person who does this. And, and just by your default of being white, yes, you are. Just by my default of being black, I'm systematically oppressed, even if I don't feel it in my everyday comings and goings. That's, that's not the point. So can you begin with that premise? Not if I am helping to maintain this, but how? Right. So it's, uh, so one place and I mentioned it, but it's, it's a great place to start and you could start, you know, each day or every time you go somewhere, like whose land are you sitting on? Um, Not that they owned it, but whose land, whose unseated homeland are you sitting on when you travel somewhere you know where you work um you know where you're living um looking at um you know educational systems looking at you know the voting looking at at redlining you know looking at at neighborhoods within your own um where you live right there their neighborhoods are segregated 
You know, we had several weeks ago, we had uh, Derek Weston, a food justice activist, and just look at you, and you said it earlier, look at, you know, having access to healthy food, notice where communities don't have access. It's a byproduct of colonialism. It's very, it's very intentional. Um, if you are not, if you're not aware of the land that you are standing on, great website native-land.ca, native-land.ca, and and it's a it's an interactive map, and you can plug in your zip code and or your town, and it will show you uh, the native the native peoples that uh, originally sat. Um, and lived on the land that you were occupying. Um, and, and, and even taking it a step further, if you don't live near family, type in their zip code. Exactly. Like just learn where you are. Learn where you are. Decentering whiteness also looks like intentional purchasing practices. Yes. Um, do you know who you're buying your products from? Do you know uh, who's making the products that you're buying and, and maybe even the ingredients in those products. Um, where's you know, follow the money is <laughs> is a is a nice way to put it. Follow follow the money. And and if you don't want to work that hard, again, visit Dr. Google. Where can I buy black products? Black made products. Black owned uh, companies. Uh, even even do your banking with black owned banks. Um, yeah. And and stop propping up like the major major um, you know banks like Bank of America and all those sort of places. And again, this is, this is, you've heard me speak about this before. This is work that I am also doing because a lot of times we are simply not aware. And once we become aware, then the, then the real question is to realize awareness doesn't fix the problem, right? Whether it's racism, whether it's spiritual transformation, awareness doesn't fix the problem. Awareness is merely the first step. I'd even call it a pre-step because you haven't already done anything. (laughs) It's a pre-step. Uh, right. So 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 then now that, you know, what are you going to do about it? And it, it is in the doing that that's how the decentering whiteness occurs, not just in the knowing, not being able to spout facts, you know, that sort of deal. Um, another another that's way. A, of, another uh, term for that. Robin D'Angelo calls it nice racism. But another yeah. term for that is called settler innocence. Settler innocence. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Another another thing to look at in decentering whiteness is even if you are a well-meaning, progressive ally, whatever, uh, you know, when when you are in conversation with people of color, uh, you know, how how are you making it about you um, in in that in that conversation, even even in terms of offering sympathy and compassion? How are you making it about you? Um, And and. And there many, and if you're in doubt, if you're if you're in doubt, say nothing. <laughs> Just be quiet, yeah. right? And and if you feel like there is some that, that there is a space or a need or a desire to offer compassion, support, ask, ask if it's needed, ask if it's wanted, and then ask how it will best serve. Uh, the person that you're with. We make a lot of assumptions about here's what this person needs right now. Right. And prefacing it with I can't relate isn't 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 helpful, you know. No. Uh, no. But so so part of the de- so when I describe decolonization as the cultural, psychological and freedom for um, people with the goal of achieving sovereignty, if you think about the cultural, psychological and economic freedom, you know, a way that for me as a white, you know, white body to to um to decenter the whiteness is as I move through my world. So we already gave the example who's, you know, where are you? What unceded, never surrendered, occupied land are you sitting on? Um, and in finding that out, is there a place you can direct some of your, you know, financial giving? Exactly. To, to you know, cause there are um, tribes that still exist in, in many places throughout the country. And some, there are one or two that are slowly been, you know, their land has been given back, but doing that. And as you move through your day, as you move through your life, when you're walking through the, a store, is anyone following you? Like stop and turn around and notice, you know, if you're a white body, stop and turn around and notice, is anyone following you? Probably not. Now look at it from the context of if you weren't white, would somebody probably be following you? 
and 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 to be clear, uh, that was actually my first experience of discrimination when oh. I came to the U.S. as a as a as a college student, um, and and it was it was sort of hashtag funny not funny because because it was not my experience growing up when it happened. It, I didn't realize at first what was happening and why it was happening. And it took me a second actually after I left the store to go, Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's, that's what I've been hearing about. And then there was, a, there was initially a weird sense of excitement of, of, of belonging. Like, you know, now, now, now I feel, now I feel like I'm part of black America because I got discriminated against. And I was sort of like, a little bit excited for us. Yeah. Like, Wait a minute, that's nothing yeah. to celebrate. <laughs> I don't know that you should be excited about that, but yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So there's, you know, decolonizing ourselves is, you know, as you said, part of that is decolonizing the mind. You know, it's decolonizing. It's even decolonizing our our self care, which is is you know pre first step kind of thing. And when I say decolonizing our self care, we have an, an attachment. Um, and within spiritual communities and maybe even an addiction to getting self-care perfect, getting it right, getting, it has to look a particular way and, and going to yoga and going to get a massage and look at all the things of the physical relaxation that you have access to. And now is that access available to everybody? Think about the sovereignty that you have around your own self-care and does find out, does that actually occur for is that possible for everyone in the same way? And uh, I think we mentioned this before, but as we are airing this on January 4th, we're a couple of days before the anniversary of that uh, insurrection. And what was fascinating they, they found was um, in terms of the participants of the insurrection, um, many of them were uh, quote unquote spiritual people, spiritual teachers, yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, not, not specifically pointing to yoga. That's just the, the quick example that's come into mind. But many of these, again, self-care practices that have appropriated a lot of Eastern practices are, are centered in, in whiteness. And, and there's an effort to, to protect the whiteness of it. Um, um, and a lot of that comes so much in the expense of it that uh, you're pretty clear who you want in your in your in your space when you price things the way you price things and the way you, you have things. So yeah, yeah. So 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 please again start from the default. Not if I am helping to maintain uh, systemic racism and colonization, but how am I? If you're a white body, how am I doing it? And am I willing to do the work? to decenter my own whiteness. Um, so we're recording again, December, but happy new year. Cause happy new year. Yeah. You're, you're listening to this in January. Uh, we'll see you next week. Love you all. Thank you for helping us create this world of love and justice. Let's get our holy on.